right. Well, welcome this morning. I have something on my heart that I want to share you prior for share with you prior to taking the offering this morning. And um, what I have on my heart is something of a pretty serious nature, but something I think that you guys can fully get behind. To give you a little history of it, you those of you who have were with us last Good Friday, the Friday before Easter, you know that we did something that God had put on my heart when. Karen and I were in Nicaragua with a team, and that was to pray the loop. And we got in our cars over a 24-hour period of time, and people signed up for an hour at a time. Even in the middle of the night, we met here at the church, and for one hour space of time, we got in cars, and we drove around 270, the loop around the city. We turned up the worship music. There wasn't talking. It was just worshiping God and praying, praying for Columbus, praying for Grove City, praying for Groveport, praying for Reynoldsburg, Gahanna, Westerville, Worthington, Hilliard, all along Dublin, all along just praying for our city. And it was an incredible time, wasn't it? Those of you who were able to participate, it was a real neat time. And, you know, that just confirmed something in me that God has spoken to me over and over again, and that is that our primary ministry to this city, primary ministry, is prayer. This is the thing that we are privileged to do, is we have a foundational ministry of prayer. And many of you are involved in some of our, our intercessory prayer uh, events and meetings and stuff like that, and some of you are just very active prayers on your own. You pray in home groups, you pray all these. But core, central to our, the thing that we have to offer this city more than anything else is prayer. And, and sometimes I look around, I see other churches, and they have cool ministries, you know, and it's like, we have some cool ministries, you know. We, have, we, we feed the homeless on Tuesday nights, and we do this and we do that. We have some cool ministries, but I, I just get in these pastors' meetings, and I hear some of the things that they're doing, and it just sounds so cool to me, and I'm like, Lord, how come we can't have more cool ministries and he just always reminds me, your ministry to the city and to the church in this city is prayer. That that's a real thing. And that's not something he has called everyone, every other church to do in the ways that we're doing it. That that's a real ministry and that's a real cool ministry. And so as he spoke that to me, there were some things that have been rolling around in my heart since, uh, since uh, uh, we did the Pray the Loop on Good Friday. And if you were here a couple of months ago, you know that I shared with you that one of the things that's really heavily on my spirit right now is, is praying for police officers in our city. There's a lot going on in our country these days that is changing, sadly, the perception that some people, not all people, but that some people have toward those men and women who really put on uniforms and put their life on the line so that we can sleep at night, right? We understand that. There's been a shift in our, in our country over the last few years just because of some tragic events that have occurred, and an understandable shift in some, some ways, of course. I'm not, under, under, I'm not underplaying any of that. But that there, is a, that there is a shift in the way people sometimes view police officers, and God put it on my heart that we need to pray for them. We need to pray for our, our police officers, our police departments, people who have administrative roles in police work, and that that's something that he's calling us to do. I don't know if he's calling any other churches to do it. I don't know. But I know he's calling us to do it. 
And so it might have been a couple months ago, I don't exactly remember when, but we had those people who were engaged in some facet of law enforcement come up and we prayed for them. You recall that? Well, God has been mixing something up with me now that I've been sharing with the elders and um, seem to have their, go ahead, is, um, and that is that I think one of the things that I feel called to do and I've had in my mind is to pray the loop and pray for the police officers as we do that. In other words, just, just do what we did, but more specifically, instead of just praying in general for the cities and stuff, is to pray, is to travel the loop. It's 55 miles. It takes you one hour to do this. To pray the loop, and in doing so, as you go through Groveport, as you go through Reynoldsburg, as you go through Gahanna, you go through these various suburbs, you, know, you always have Columbus kind of in the middle, always on your left, I guess depending on which way you go. Uh, I guess I'm more of a counterclockwise kind of guy. <laughs> always on my left. And, uh, and then you have these various suburbs on your right. And I feel like God has called us, I was, I was feeling like God was calling me to bring that to your attention and say, let's do that. And it has all come together right now because of the tragic, the tragic loss of life of that young boy who was killed in our city. Because he had in his possession, he had on him a, a BB gun that looked very much like a 40 caliber police issue uh, uh, gun, and so it was just tragic, just tragic. And I'm, I'm so grateful to the inner city pastors as I've watched them and prayed for them, and particularly the African American pastors who downtown have really, really ministered very well. I mean, there's no reason why this couldn't be a Ferguson right now. But God did something. God did something. And I believe it's because we're praying people. Not just us, of course, but that's our part in it. Just pray. And pray for these police departments. Are you with me? This morning I was looking through the news feeds, and I, I don't really like to do that, but on Sunday mornings I feel like I need to in case something happened last night that you know about that I don't know about, which has happened from time to time. And the thing is, as I was looking at that this morning, I learned of the explosions in Manhattan last night. At the time I read it, there were 29 injuries, and they found another device, which they found before it was detonated. We need to pray. We need to pray. And so I believe that God is just speaking to my heart now about between the loss of that young boy's life and just all that that would bring. I mean, can you imagine? We need to pray for these police officers. Can you imagine how quickly they have to make these decisions? Have you ever, have you ever been forced into making a quick decision and you made it based on everything that was in front of you and then maybe even seconds later you went, ah, have you ever been there? Imagine if the ah was standing next to the a 12-year-old boy with a BB gun. We need to pray. We need to pray. And so what I'm asking for is this Tuesday night, every Tuesday night we have a, an intercessory prayer meeting here we call it. I know we call it worship and prayer. And normally about 20 or 25 of us meet in the back room back here and I get out my guitar and we worship God and we just kind of follow him and it's very free-flowing, very open and wherever the Lord leads us, that's where we go. We pray for people. We pray for the things you give us to pray for on the little white cards. We pray for 
however the Lord leads. This is a very cool time. And you're always welcome to come to that. No experience necessary. Tuesday nights at 7. But this week I feel like the Lord's calling me to call you to join me at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night here so that we can just gather together, however many of us come, and we can organize cars, and for one hour we'll just go and we'll just pray the loop. Pray for our city. Pray for the police officers, police departments of our city. And maybe if you're a person who doesn't come on Tuesday nights, that's fine. And maybe you'll never come again. That's fine. We have no judgment, but we don't talk about you behind your back if you don't come. We don't have time for that. We're engaged in the Lord's presence. It's pretty hard to be disappointed in anything after that, right? But I'm, I'm asking you, I'm calling you, church, to come on Tuesday night. You give an hour and a half of your time. We'll pray for a few minutes. You'll be on your way home at 830. And home time for Matlock. Or whatever it is you watch. Law and order or whatever. I don't even know. Is that still on? No. <laughs> McMillan and wife, is that still on? <laughs> All my family. Are you hearing me? Are you believing me? That's the critical part. I'm not going to get paid extra if you come. But I think the city will. Charlene, what you got? Will you help choose for those that can't make the event? You and I talked before and just put them in on the sheet and some pictures and where they're at. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of the thing I meant to say, too. Charlene asked if it would be helpful if they can't make it. Some of you have work, some of you have stuff. You can't make it. Would it be helpful if, uh, if, you, if you joined in prayer, though, not being here? Absolutely. If you can't come, would you please take some time Tuesday and join us in agreement in prayer? for our city, for our police officers, men and women departments. Would you do that? I'd love to see all of you here, as many as you can, on Tuesday night. We'll just figure out who's driving and turn up the radio and go and pray. You don't even have to be a social person. It's just you talking to God in the company of other people. You can, you can pray silently. You don't have to pray out loud. Just join us, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you now in the name of Jesus. And I know that right now in this room we have men and women who are law enforcement people and they're attached to it in some administrative way. And we again ask your blessing on them, how difficult it must be right now to see the cultural shift and what something that was largely sacred to us in our view of police. And it just seems to be under such attack right now because of a few tragic, but few incidents, tragic as they are, God, and we ask for you to come and intervene in the tragedies that are waiting to happen, that you would, you would cause that young person not to put that BB gun in his, in his waistband, that you would cause somebody who's being pushed over the edge to break the law not to. You would cause them that you would appoint some believer to go to them right now. Appoint us as individuals, not to just pray for them, but then to respond in obedience to going to the places where these people are, these young people, these men, these women. And you would, you would cause us to have encounter with them. God, so that we could be of some 
useful agent in the solution of this terrible problem that we have. Lord, we pray for the family of for that young boy who was killed this week. We pray for them. We pray for the officers involved and, and all that that must mean to them today. We can only imagine the horror, the regret, the pain that they're in now. God, would you come for them? We can only imagine the outrage and the anger of people around who are connecting dots. And not all those dots connect, Lord, but they're still connecting them. And we just pray for them now, God. We pray for our city. We pray in the name of Jesus for your protection on our city. God, we know that it can come here. It has come here. It is here. And that by prayer, we can push it out. Push it out. That prayer works. And we are privileged to be called to be a, a church of prayer. Above all else, we're a church of prayer. And we're privileged to make to see you fulfill your promise that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that then you will hear from heaven, you'll forgive their sin and heal their land. And we believe that, Lord. We lay claim to that and we step up into our place as believers in seeing this as our, not only, but our primary ministry to the church, to the city and to the church of this city. And so, Lord, as we move forward, I pray that you'll stir us individually and corporately to be the people who pray. We love you, Lord. We count it a privilege to be put in that proximity to you at your table that we would be the ones who, who ask, who intervene, who seek. The Spirit of the Lord just come and press this word on each heart in a way that brings you the most glory in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I have a question for you. What do Hillary Clinton and Tom Pocket have in common? This is not a political question at all. I don't do politics in public. What we have in common is that they both suffer from post-concussion syndrome. So I have had a brutal uh, week and a half. I'm a little embarrassed to say that because two of the three favorite doctors in my world are here and sitting there wondering, so why didn't you call? <laughs> By the way, Josh, the other, the third favorite doctor is your wife. So Josh's wife here. But uh, I had this accident a year ago. I don't know if you remember it. So I went off my bike, hit my head, big deal, right? It's the hardest part of my body. And I had a concussion, and I thought, well, there we go. There we go. And I had that accident on Thursday, and I preached on Sunday, big deal. You got 17 stitches, right? We're a Band-Aid. And then I had the problems with the whole thing, so I had to shut myself in a room for a few weeks with dark glasses and dark shades and not look at anything but just listen to Jesus, which weren't bad. And then I thought I was done and uh, didn't, uh, didn't realize until afterwards that, um, according to one of my other doctors, that uh, recovery, I like the way he phrases this, at your age, <laughs> that's not fun to hear, at your age, can take up to two years to recover from traumatic brain injury, and so that's what this is, and 
So I just had some triggers that happened apparently that just threw me into a five-day headache. I was just in the, in the room with the lights off and the, and the shades on and stuff like that. And I think I'm, I got my shades here, but I'm trying not to wear them uh, because it just makes me too cool. I mean, when you, I mean, these are, these are Bob Dylan Highway 61 Ray-Bans here. So you know what I'm saying? I mean, you wouldn't be able to think about the message if you saw me in these. It'd be bad, very bad. So no, I'm not going to show you unless I have to. Um, but then, uh, so that, I guess I started feeling better from that about Sunday of last week, and thanks so much to Paul for preaching last week for me on pretty short notice, just a couple days notice, and uh, that's good. And, uh, and then, uh, then Tuesday of this week, I got to have my first ever root canal. So, somebody told me they didn't hurt. No, my, I had the dentist tell me, oh, it's okay, you need a root canal, instead of, it's just hurting, I went in, and, and they said, it doesn't hurt, because they'll numb you up, well, and the doctor who did it said, no, don't worry, I'm going to numb you up, and blah, 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 and they couldn't get me numb, but they did it anyway, you feel the pipe cleaners going, and she goes, and, and a couple times, like, I'm in the chair, and she had to put this desiccant down in there, calcium something or another. She says, i got to squirt a little of this in there. And, so, and I'm like, oh, I came right up out of the chair. And I, oh, you son of a motherless goat, you. And, <laughs> which really comes out more like, yo, ha, 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 ha. It was bad. It really hurt bad. And she kept saying, oh, I'm sorry. She's a really nice dentist. And she, I'm so sorry, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, you're about to get it here. <laughs> and she said, that's an angry tooth, got a lot of infection, and it's going to take a while for it to heal up. But it's, it's better now, but that's been my week. And on three, I want you to give me an awe. One, two, three. Aww. Oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> I'm healed. Woo. So anyway, I'm back. A uh, little irony. Uh, two weeks ago, I mean, two weeks ago, Three weeks ago, I don't know how you think about that. Three Sundays ago, I started a two-part teaching called Dealing with Disappointment, which created quite a buzz. It seemed to be very well received, and uh, I got a lot of positive emails and stuff on that. And, and then, uh, then after last Sunday, I received quite a few emails, a number of people who were conveyed to me how disappointed they were that I wasn't back to finish the teaching. <laughs> so the irony is not lost on us there, right? So this morning... Actually, uh, I have in my notes, I want to finish the summer short series with a second part of a two-part message called Dealing with Disappointment, but in the first service, we didn't get through it, so looks like it's going to be a three-part, so uh, unless you guys are smarter than them, which is likely, and uh, then we, I could go faster. Okay, all right then. Tough audience. The experience of disappointment, ladies and gentlemen, is one we all share something we all have in common. We will experience disappointment. We will be disappointments. We will experience disappointment. It's, it's an experience that we all share in common in one way or another. And, and, a, and a, number, a number of you here have recently experienced such profound losses in your life that you are experiencing deep disappointment and, and, and may even be in a season of recovering from disappointment. Some of you have lost spouses, parents, children, loved ones. 
Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost spouses to divorce. And you're in a time of deep, deep disappointment. And um, you've been on my heart a lot because of that. And some of you are living in a season of recovery from disappointment, trying to figure out what to do next. What do I do without that person? What do I do without that job? What do I do without that house that I lost? What do I do without that fill-in-the-blank? I had that, and now it's gone. How do I, what do I do next? It's a great question. It's something that we all share in common. Just to bring you up to speed on um, disappointment and where we were on the first message, disappointment is the pain and sadness we feel when something doesn't turn out the way we had worked for, imagined, hoped, or assumed it would. You feel sad. You feel that. There's an emotional response to something not turning out the way you had worked for. I worked for that, and I didn't have it. It didn't come. It didn't happen. The outcome wasn't what I was working for. The outcome wasn't what I imagined. Something that I thought was there is gone, going to be there is gone. I had hoped for or assumed it would. Sometimes we live in a just, just this sense, this, this sea of assumptions, don't we? And we think that that person is always going to be there or that thing is always going to be there. And then when it's gone, we experience quite naturally this sadness called disappointment. Disappointment virtually always involves a palpable sense of loss. And you may remember the etymology on the word disappointment, which is from the 15th century, which is like to de-appoint. If someone was in office, to be disappointed meant to be, you're not in office anymore. So it involves loss. And it has become for us the, the sense of emotion that we feel, a description for the sense of emotion that we feel when we experience some loss, something that we either had that's now gone or we thought we were going to have that didn't come. And it's loss. And it's a sense of sadness, and the disappointment always hurts. It, you always feel it. That's how we're wired. You know, I don't think disappointment in, it, in and of itself is an emotion, but I think disappointment triggers a kind of a cocktail of emotions, like sadness, like anger, yeah? Like confusion, disbelief, and other things that maybe we would call emotions. It's kind of this mixture of things but you feel it, don't you? I mean, how many, of you would, how many of you have that visceral gut feeling when you're in a season of disappointment and you wake up in the morning because you live with the hope that sometime you'll be past it, right? Sometime it won't feel like that, but you wake up the next morning and you still feel like that. And you're like, I'm not done, am I? I'm not done with the disappointment yet. The disappointment absolutely always hurts the good news is that the Word of God is very generous in telling us what to do about disappointment. And we're going to Psalm 34 in your Bibles. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. And uh, by way of a very quick and important context, if you look under the Psalm 34, the little heading that says this was written by David when he was faking insanity in front of Abimelech, right? Now, the, So the context of what you're about to read is simply this. David... He wasn't king yet. Saul was still king, but David had lost everything. He'd already been anointed as the next king. You would think that from that point, life would just be a series of upward climbs, right? I'm going to be the next king. He wasn't throwing it in Saul's face. He was just out killing Goliath and stuff like that. 
He was just out doing what he did as a warrior. And Saul came to hate him. And so King Saul hated him, and so he lost Saul. He lost his, his dear covenant friend, Jonathan. He lost his army. His fighting men were not with him when this feigning insanity before Abimelech. He went to the priest of Nod, and, and what happened? He got a sword there, and it was Goliath's sword. So this is what the man had to his name. He had a sword that was too big for him. This is all that he had. This is the anointed next king of Israel, and he had lost everything. He was being hunted. A season of disappointment. And that's what the context of this psalm is. And it, it really tells us in these verses, gives us so much insight into what to do with how to deal with disappointment. How do we deal with it? Well, the first thing we do is we focus on what we know to be true. We absolutely focus what we know to be true. When disappointment comes, it means that something is gone, right? Whew. Something important is gone, and so we're disappointed. We tend then to focus on the half-truths pertaining to that loss. Because if you notice, the disappointment is just this entanglement of half-truths. And the key, the first key to overcoming disappointment is to focus on what one knows to be true. Not focus on the hole in the middle of the spectrum or on the side, wherever it is, but focus on the rest of what you know to be true. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, etc., it says, think about these things. Focus on these things. Whatever is true. And when disappointment comes, we are so tempted, aren't we, just to believe the half lies. But we have to focus on what's true, even if it's not connected to the area of disappointment. But it's better when it is. And so when a loved one dies, when we know that they're in the Lord, when we know that they had a meaningful relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, we know, we know something about them, don't we? We know, 2 Corinthians 5.1, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. We know that that's true. And so when we think about the loss, we focus on what's true. Yes, it's, it hurts terribly that they're gone. But rejoice that the relationship that they had with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, which was a faith relationship, is now a sight relationship. They're now eyeball to eyeball with the living God. That's what's true about that. So we take time, really, to focus on what it is that we know to be true. That's where we left off last time. Second, actively give thanks for what you still have. Actively thank God for what you still have. Because in a time of disappointment, even deep disappointment, there's still stuff left, right? You weren't completely robbed. Actively give thanks for what you still have. I love the way David did it here in Psalm 34. Now remember, he had lost everything was in a season of the deepest kind of profound disappointment. And here's what he says in verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Do you hear the gratitude in his heart for what he still has? He still has something. And he's focusing with gratitude on what it is he still has. When did he write this? When he had nothing. 
I love verse 5. Those who look to him, he thanks God for his forgiveness. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. It said, for the joy set before him, in Hebrews, that Jesus endured the cross. I love this next phrase. Scorning its shame. That for the joy set before him, that's our salvation, and for being reunited with the Father, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus took our shame. See, the devil wants to keep you focused on the shame of what your part of the loss is. On the, on the areas where you did not do well in that. And you, you can focus on that, or you can focus on what's left, what you know to be, what you know to be true, and you can, you can thank God for what it is that you still have. In verse 6, David thanked him for his salvation. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. And he saved him, saved him out of all of his troubles. See the way he characterizes himself? And this is what happens in seasons of disappointment. This poor man called. I don't think he's feeling sorry for himself. I just think he's saying, I suck. I really suck at this. This poor, I mean, how did I screw this up? I was the next anointed king. Now I got, all I got is the sword of the guy I killed. That's too big for me. How did I, how did I screw this up? You've probably never been there, have you? I had it. And then I gave it away. I lost it. This poor man, he said, called him. But look, and the Lord heard him. In spite of that, he saved him out of all his troubles. Saved is the word for salvation there. He say brought salvation. You know, your salvation is not just limited to heaven. It's not just your get out of hell free card. You get this, right? Your salvation is for now. Anybody need rescued? I know a rescuer. Verse 7. This is my favorite part of this whole thing. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. What's he thankful for? He's thankful for the fact that even though the king of Israel has launched his armies to come and kill him, that all of his fighting men have deserted him. He's alone with a sword too big for him. That that's all he has. That in spite of that, he knows that there's an angel of the Lord running circles around him all the time. And he's thankful for that. You know, you can take away my favor with the king. You can take away my army. You can take away my weapon. But you can't take away the angel of the Lord who encamps around those who fear him. Do you fear the Lord? You know how I mean that? I don't mean like, ah, I'm averting my eyes. Don't do that. I hate it when you do that. Sorry, Monty Python. I'm averting my eyes. I don't mean like cowering. But I mean a reverential fear that it's a God of the universe who loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you. That's a different kind of humbling fear, isn't it? And it says that those who have that, they that fear the Lord, it says, an angel of the Lord encamps around them. Running laps around your property, Dick and Dora. Sometimes you can see them with their tongue hanging out. So he's thankful for that in the midst of his deepest loss. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18. For everything? In everything. How many of you have been in circumstances for which you were not thankful? <laughs> Me too. But in the midst of them, we can be thankful. In them, not for them. Because in the midst of any circumstance, even a deep disappointment, there's opportunity to be thankful. In everything. You know how the rest of that passage goes? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It says, it says uh, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I sometimes have young people say, Hey, Tom, can I talk to you? Sure. So we get together. And we, uh, we talk, and often their question is, I'm trying to sort out God's will for my life. I need to know what's next. I, I need to understand, am I being called to be a pastor or a missionary or a middle school science teacher or an astronaut? I mean, I need to understand what it is I'm being called to. What, what's God's will for my life? And sometimes not just young people, but other people too. And they come and they ask this question, and I like to respond with the same answer. Are you doing 1 Thessalonians 5? 17 and 18. And they kind of say, well, maybe. What does it say? <laughs> it says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And sometimes we want the big revelation of what God's will is without us meeting him where he calls us to meet him. Rejoice evermore, worship, pray without ceasing, pray, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And if you need to know whether God wants you to be an astronaut or a plumber, then you have to start by, praying those by doing those three things first, because that's the foundation of the discovery of the will of God for your life. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That if you're a, a rejoicer, if you're a person who worships God, and if you're a, if you're a person who, who is praying without ceasing, and if you're giving thanks in every situation, it's going to be an automatic kind of revelation of God's will for your life. Romans 12, verse 2 says, that, says be, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to tell what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so this is where you renew your mind. How? Well, you rejoice evermore, you pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And then God's will will be like falling off a log. It'll, it'll just be the next natural, organic step in your naturally supernatural life. Does that make sense, yes or no? Because I can start again. I do not have another service after this. I can keep you as long as I care to. <laughs> that is kind of a cruel social convention that we have, though, isn't it? That you guys are largely, uh, except for the unsaved, uh, we'll, we'll I, that was supposed to be a joke. It was terrible. <laughs> but this is talking about an active sense of gratitude. You have to be we have to be intentional about it. I'm going to be thankful. The greater the loss in this time of disappointment, the more difficult it is, right? And so if there's a death, it's, the loss is so great that it's very difficult, very difficult to give thanks, but it's still the key. In the case of a divorce, there's often been some deep betrayal involved with that, that the loss is so great that it's very difficult to become thankful for the other stuff. But there's always something to be thankful for. Amen, church? Amen. All right. Some of you have been through some bad stuff, and you figured that out the hard way. I'll give you one more, then we call it today. Worship God. Worship God. You want to know what to, what to do in a time of deep disappointment? 
Worship God. Worship Him. Worship Him. Worship Him just because He's God. You know, you don't have to be thankful for anything, but you can always worship God because it doesn't matter how difficult our circumstances are, how disappointed we are, how bad things are. God's still God. God's still God and worthy of our praise. Yes or no? Yeah. He's still there. And the key to getting through it is to actively worship God. David responded to his deepest disappointment by worshiping God. I mean, just look at the first three verses of the psalm here. And it says, here's David, again, in this time of terrible loss. And he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. So there's not a time that I'm not going to do this, he says. His praise will always be on my lips. Because he's still God. My soul will boast in the Lord. Catch this next line, afflicted people. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. He's saying, you know who needs to worship the most are those of you who are in time of affliction. Worship. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He's all about worshiping. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, I'm going to give you another chance at that one. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. I'm going to give you one more try. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Well, okay, that's pretty. That, That passes. It's about rejoicing. Now, where was Paul when he wrote that? In prison? <laughs> Not the best of circumstances. In prison for what? Preaching the gospel. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Psalm 34, again, back in our passage of verse 8. I love this. I live by this. First, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. You know, the whole, the whole experience of worship is meant to be an experience. It's about tasting of God. That God sets this table for us and he says, come, come. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and here's something, I, I guess I want to leave you with this part. It's, it's a critically important part of worshiping. And that's that every, every person eats from God's table in a unique way. One size does not fit all when it comes to worship. And I think you need to give yourself grace for that. One size does not fit all when it comes to worship or eating from God's table, experiencing God. If you look through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you see there were different people who connected with God through various ways. We all connect with God through Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying within that, there is a band of possibilities for how one worse person worships God compared to how another person worships God. And we must never judge ourselves or one another if someone is connecting with God in a different way within that band of ways of worshiping God. Yes? And I want to give you some freedom this morning saying you need to worship God, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to go, right? Gary Thomas wrote an excellent book called Sacred Pathways in which he identified nine different pathways that people tend to connect with God. I'm thinking about doing a Sunday night series on this. I'm not committing to it. I said I'm thinking about it. And so Gary Thomas said in his study, in his prayerful study, he's a great guy, great believer, he says he sees nine different ways that people have kind of a default way of connecting with God. And the first are the naturalists. They're the ones who go out into nature 
And Psalm 19 comes alive. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaims the work of his hands. How many of you are naturalists? Like when you get out there in God's creation, it's on, John, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Some of you guys, you experience God out on the golf course, right? You're out there in a little tweet, 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 and you're like, oh, son of a gun. And you're, tweet, 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 and it's, and you're out there and there's something spiritual about it for you. And I'm all for that, but you don't have to do it on Sunday mornings, all right? Or 168 hours in the week, do it another time. Now, so that's one way. And then he calls another group of people the sensates, people who experience God through their senses. Through their senses. They see things, they hear things, they smell things. And so can you see, your, you know, can you see someone in a Catholic church and they, they have all the ornate liturgy and the drama and the pageantry and then they bring in the, the incense and the flow of the incense and there are some people who totally connect with God in that way. Now, I don't. I'm not going to wear any different clothes. I'm not going to get a little thing. I mean, that's not what we're called to do here, but it's still a valid, perfectly valid way to connect with God. And then the traditionalists. There are people who connect with God by the, by the acknowledgement of tradition along the way. Some of you love our carols and candles service every year because we put on our suits and ties and act like Methodists. And that's like... <laughs> and it's just one night. It's just one night. And, and you find great pleasure in that, don't you? It's, it's like an anchor for you. It's a tradition. That's fantastic. And you connect with God. Some people are ascetics, and what that means is you deprive yourself, you fast, you get alone, you go silent, you cave up, and that's how you experience God. Some are activists, those people who are out there doing things, and as they do them, they're worshiping God. I am married to an activist. Karen is at her best worship form, not when we're singing songs, but when we're making sandwiches for the homeless. One, one hour a month or two hours, however long it takes us, the, I, the staff comes together on a Wednesday afternoon and we just make sandwiches for the homeless. We make gobs of sandwiches. And I'm like, yeah, let's get these things done. And she's like, she's like in her glory because she's an activist. Patricia Nelson is an activist over there. She worships God when she's active, when she's out there engaged on the front line. And that's a way of worshiping God. Experiencing God. Caregivers are related, you know. If you've ever been a recipient of my wife Karen's care, you know she's not going to like rub your back and every day she sees you, oh, it's so good to say yo. You know you're not getting that from her, right? Have you ever been in a time of crisis when she gave you care? It's been awesome. She's a caregiver and she connects with God more in giving care than in singing the big songs. There are the enthusiasts. Some of us are in there, oh yeah, Jesus! I'm talking about Jesus! That's all I mean, I'm just talking about Jesus! And you look around the room and you go, oh. Some of you are enthusiasts. That's how you, I would like for you to raise your hand if you consider yourself to be an enthusiast. Some form of you. Keep it up. Okay, raise it up. Now, I'd like the rest of you to look around and see how few hands are raised. All this time you thought there was something wrong with you. There's something wrong with us. All this time you thought that because you didn't jump and dance and say, Jesus, I must not be getting it. You're 
hardwired that way. If you are, you know it, and you can't help yourself. You get way past your inhibitions, and you just do it. But if you're not, it's okay. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge yourself by what you see others in our exuberance doing. You just saw how few of us there really are. It's just that we take up so much real estate when we're doing it, right? It seems to characterize a church like ours, and yet you saw the vast minority of people in here would describe that really connect with that. Keep looking, contemplatives. Yes, very good. Hmm. Yes, I see your point. I shall ponder that. I shall meditate upon that. Hmm. It's a person who contemplates, who meditates, who, who really considers in an, almost an artistic way the power, the value of a concept or a moment with the Lord. And then there are the intellectuals. People like Pat over here, man, you just... You just go crazy over some bit of intellectual fodder that comes that comes apologetics or eschatology or something, and some of these people are going, what do those two words mean? And you're going like, yeah. That there's, it's wait till something comes along in black and white, or there's some insight that's shared that just causes your intellect to click in, and you go, yeah. That's how I connect with God. That's how I connect with God. And in reality... We're all some combination of probably a few of them, right? Think about yourself and kind of pick your top three. That's how you connect with God. And I am an enthusiast, naturalist, intellectual. I know these are the three ways that I best connect with God. By getting jiggy with Jesus, that's number one. By being out in nature, number two. And three... I just pour over theology and pour over stuff that goes, oh, that's so rich. But don't make me make the sandwiches all the time. (laughs) All right? And we validate that in each of us, right? So as you eat from the table and you say, okay, I'll worship God, give yourself grace to be the person that God hardwired you to be. Worship your own way when you're doing it. Some of you are just waiting for the songs to be over with, hoping I say something smart. (laughs) Right? That's okay. In reality, the Bible says here in verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Are you in a season of disappointment, of loss, of heartbreak? Then cry out. Tell them how hungry you are for him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. If you identify yourself as a person who is in a time, you haven't recovered from the loss. You're still in a time of disappointment. Maybe your life is even characterized by disappointment. Or maybe it's something that's just come up and you're in a moment of disappointment. I want to offer prayer for you in one of two ways. In just a minute, our prayer team people are going to come up. They're going to stand over here. And they're going to be for those of you who would like to have prayer if you'd like to tell somebody about your disappointment. If you're in a place where you just want to tell somebody and say, there's my disappointment, would you pray for me? Others of you aren't there. I don't want to tell anybody about that. I just want you to just come up here and I'll have a prayer time with you without asking you what we're praying about. 
but you're just identifying as, I'm in a season of disappointment. I really don't want to tell anybody about it, but I'd like to have the benefit of prayer for it. So, Father in heaven, we just really are grateful for your care for us, that you love us so much that in the normal things of life and even deep disappointment, that you have a way for us. You have a path for us. That your hand extends from wherever it is you are in heaven to exactly where we are here and to touch us. And so we invite you in the present ministry of your Holy Spirit in this room to come and make this word come alive for us that we can join with David in times maybe of deepest kinds of disappointment and loss of saying his praise will always be on my lips. I will extol him at all times. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So we invite you Holy Spirit to come now and do the things that you want to have done here in Jesus' name. Amen. We have some prayer ministry people come on up and take your places over along the side. And again, if you're a person who'd like to tell somebody and receive prayer, go on up to one of them. They're trained to pray for you. But also, if you have something else going on in your life that isn't on topic, you can come up to these guys and they'll pray for you. And if you're a person today here who has never, maybe you're at a place where you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. You can come up to these people and they'll, they'll, they'll help you come into relationship with God through son Jesus.